All right, good morning, everybody. My name is Michael uh, Mears. I'm one of the members here at New City. Uh, it is an honor to get to speak with you this morning. I think anytime you hear the story that someone has had a baby, I was praying for twins, but apparently Pastor Eric and Kelly didn't think that was funny. Uh, but that being said, there was a baby born, it's true. We don't have a picture to prove it, but I do. And so I wanted to show, we didn't even put it on the screen. I wanted to show everybody. So if you're in the back, sorry. But look, she's so adorable. A little bow on her head. She gets her looks from Kelly and, well, Eric too. I mean, he's a beautiful man. So I am honored to get to stand uh, in his place this morning, but even more honored than that, I'm honored that we get to open the word together. Um, and the reason I say that to you this morning is because there's lots of things in this world uh, that are temporary. Uh, I love Florida State, and they are undefeated. Hopefully that's not temporary, uh, but ultimately it is. Uh, we realize that our jobs are temporary, our possessions are temporary, but today we get to do something that's eternal. Uh, we get to look at God's word, uh, and we get to be a bunch of souls in a room together and see what God has for us. Uh, and so I'm super excited to jump in uh, and see what God does with us. Um, this morning, I, there's going to be a big kind of main idea, kind of keeping me within the guardrails uh, in the sermon this morning. And here's the main idea. The main idea is this, is that God uses our weakness or weaknesses to bring us to him and point others to him. Now, I invited a bunch of friends today, and I'm super pumped. They might be here somewhere, just hypothetically. But I didn't tell any of them ahead of time, hey, guys, great news. Especially all these baseball studs in the front. I didn't say, hey, guys, great news. Let's talk about weakness. Right? Nobody wants to hear about weakness. Right? We, a lot of times we don't want to admit we have weakness, which might mean our weakness is pride. Uh, or we don't, we don't want to talk about it, we avoid it, we do different things, or maybe we just live in our strengths because weakness is uncomfortable. But the first thing I want to tell you this morning is we're all weak. And that might be the biggest hurdle of this morning is to see that we're all weak. But I think as we go through the text, we're going to see it, how we're a lot like Gideon. Uh, but before I jump straight to the person of Gideon, I want to kind of give you uh, a, a quick run through of the first six chapters of Judges. Judges is a book where God continues to bring these different judges, these different kings, these different leaders. Uh, and they're like the most unlikely of unlikely people. Um, all sorts of different strengths and all sorts of different weaknesses, men and women, uh, different folks to come and to lead his people because they've asked for a leader. Last week, we were introduced to Gideon, who may be one of the most unlikely of the leaders. Uh, as Pastor Eric said last week in the sermon, a very, very like academic statement. He said that Gideon went from a scaredy cat to a valiant warrior. And we know that he was a scaredy cat in a lot of ways. The ways that we know this are very clear. The first is that Gideon was full of reasons that he shouldn't be a valiant warrior. The first one was this. The first one was that, hey, I came from a weak family. I come from a weak tribe. Like, I'm a weak man. He was a true scaredy cat. But God meets him in that, and some people actually believe it's Jesus meets him. Like, literally, an angel shows up and says, hey, Gideon, I'm gonna use you. And once again, once again Gideon being who he was, who was a lot like us in a lot of ways, was like, okay, cool, that's cool. An angel showed up and told me, like, he's going to use me, and I'm going to be a leader, and I'm going to go to battle, and he's going to give us a victory. That's cool, that's cool. But hey, God, could you do some other things? And how much is that like us, right? That God's like, hey, you know, you, you could go preach a sermon. You could lead a city group. You could serve in kids. You could get baptized. You could do all kind of great things. You could just be faithful in your job. And we're like, yeah, yeah, come on, God. maybe, God, give me a sign, and say, well, Gideon, he just gave you an angel. But God was gracious with Gideon, right? He gives him this fleece test, this reality that he's like, all right, God, well, to prove it's you and it's real and you're really calling me this and you're going to do it, like I'm going to put this fleece on the ground and you're going to wet it. And then it happens because God was like, uh-huh. 
And then you say, well, I mean, how about we do the reverse? I'll put it down and you dry it. He does again, and Gideon, Gideon's kind of been going back in this tussle um, with the Lord over whether or not it's really the Lord um, that's calling him, but we enter chapter seven where Gideon's kind of on this high, right? He's had the angel speak to him and say, hey, I'm gonna use you. No matter how weak your family, no matter how weak your tribe, no matter how weak you think you are, I'm gonna use you, and you're gonna lead these people. And so we catch Gideon at a moment, like he's ready to like just go to war. And the reason I can say that is we look here early in the text and we see evidence of it. In chapter seven, we're going to look at verses 1 to 4 to start. It says, Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, which is a far better name, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod, and the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moray in the valley. We know this is true, that he's ready, and he's like, let's do this thing a couple of ways. Number one is, he's up early. I don't know about you, I have a really hard time getting up early. Not only was he up early and ready to go to war, ready because God's got this, God's going to take care of it. He got 32,000 people to follow him. I can't get my children out of bed early. He's got 30, I don't get my children out of bed early. I have to confess that. Um, That would probably be my wife getting all of us out of bed early. First sermon, I let that ride because she wasn't here. And everybody thought I was a super dad. But 32,000 people are ready to go to battle. Gideon's got the plan. He's ready. Let's do this thing. But then look what happens in verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. So Gideon's up early, he's heard from the Lord, he's kind of wrestled back and forth in some previous accounts in chapter six. He's ready to go, we're up early, 32,000 people, and then the Lord says, hey, whoa, 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 too many. And ironically, I think this is God's like irony here in this. He says, ask the troops, hey, how many of you guys today are fearful about battle? I think he hoped like seven. Like, <laughs> and like, yeah, we didn't need, we knew you were fearful. No. He's like, one, two, and he quits counting because there's 22,000 that were like, yeah, not me. So he sends them home. Now he's got 10,000. So remember, he's come in confident after he's been going back and forth with the Lord. He realizes he's weak, and all of a sudden his army's a little weaker, like two-thirds weaker, right? I think, I had public school math, 22,000, right? And so he's now down to 10,000, but then look what happens in verse 4. It says, and the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Man, I'm trying to picture Gideon in that moment. He's like, okay. Well, okay. All right, God. Like, yeah, fleece test, the angel. I had a plan. I'm trying to obey you, but you took 22,000. I guess that's good. You took the fearful away. Like, I can still see, God, how you're working this out. Like, how this was a good idea. Get rid of the fearful people. Even though Gideon's a pretty fearful person himself. And God says, all right, so here's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to take your remaining 10,000, you're gonna take them down to the water, and just, you're gonna have them each drink water, and how each person drinks, there's gonna be two groups of people, one really big group and one really small group, and you're gonna take the really small group, that's gonna be your army. Now, I don't know how many of you read this text, I didn't remember the numbers until I started reading it this week. You had 32,000, 22,000 said, I'm scared, and they went home. Now you've got 10,000. They go get the water, and God says, you know what number I want you to keep and use and go to battle with? 300. 
Can you imagine? You started out like, we're up early, we got a plan, 32,000 people, let's roll, let's do this thing, God's on my side, and now 99% of the army's gone. And in that moment, I think we all have to ask ourselves, why, why in the world would God do this? Is this cruel? Is this like some bully in the sky? But the good news here is I don't think we have to speculate. The good news here is it's in the text. It tells us why God said, let me whittle your army down from 32,000 to 300. And it's in verse two. It says, the Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my hand has saved me. God knew that if they went to battle with 32,000, that at the end of the day, they may still experience victory. But at the end of the victory, they would be celebrating themselves. In that moment, God's trying to show Gideon, and I really believe he's trying to show all of us here, first time, hundredth time, he's trying to show all of us today what it would look like to depend on him. What it would look like to be a people that realize that we're weak, and maybe what God would do with our weakness is bring us to him. I said earlier today, like the biggest thing I want you to start out with today is that we're all weak. And the reason I can say that to you today is not because I've got hearing loss or somebody's wearing glasses, whatever like visible weaknesses are. I think we have a far greater weakness. And the far greater weakness that we all have is called sin. And if you don't think you have that weakness, the reality is you do. Like I said, it's called pride. That's another sin. That no one here, I think, if we were honest with ourselves today, would be like, man, I'm, I'm good. Like, I'm perfect. I haven't done anything wrong. And some of you may be like, yeah, I do things wrong, but I also do a lot of good deeds. Or some of you might say, hey, yeah, I do things wrong, but I go to a church. I go to a small group, a city group. I read my Bible every day. I pray my prayers. I pray whatever prayer, prayers I was told to pray. Like, whatever your actions were to say, hey, I think I can earn it. I think I can do it. But what God is showing Gideon in this, Gideon in this moment is I want to bring you to the place of weakness where you realize it's no longer about me or no longer about you, it's about me. I want to bring you to the place of weakness that when you face battles, when you go through things, it's going to be very clear that it was only you in the end. That it was only God in the end. And so we see Gideon get whittled down here, but this is the story over and over again in Scripture. It's a story where we have to actually realize that God invites us and he created us not to trust in ourselves but to ultimately trust in him. How can we say that's true? We start with Adam and Eve, right? They're in the garden. And he says, hey man, don't eat the fruit. Trust me on this. And like the sinners that we are, we say, ah man, mm, the one thing you said I can't have, I want it. Sometimes we do that with our kids, right? Like you can't have any cookies. And then all of a sudden you hear the rattle, which is why God made the package so loud. Sometimes I'm like, maybe we should just say, you can have as many cookies as you want. And they'll be like, well, I guess I'll eat fruit. Because we're we're all rebels. We all want to trust in ourselves. We don't want to see our weaknesses. We don't want someone to be the boss of us. We see it in the garden also when God says, it's not good for man to be alone. And every man in the room says, amen, it is not good for man to be alone. So we see where God is saying, hey, let me show you what I can do with your weakness. The good news of the gospel, like I said, it's not about how many things that you do or how many things that you accomplish or if you do more good than than bad. The good news of the gospel is that salvation's a gift. The gift is this, the reality that we all are sinners, that there are consequences for our sin, 
and that there's a savior who paid the consequences. The gift is this, the gift is faith. It's faith that, that you would believe in Jesus, that he actually came, he actually lived the perfect life that you and I, man, I failed between here and home. He lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. And then he died on the cross for our sins, the death that we all deserved in our place. And then he conquered sin and death forever, rising three days later. The good news isn't karma. The good news isn't good works. The good news is grace, that it was a gift from God. That our weakness, our ultimate eternal weakness, would bring us to the Lord. So let's see what happens here um, in the midst of this weakness. Gideon, um, I, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe my young friends in the front, I don't know if you say this, um, but this is the word that, that I would use, that God's taken 32,000, he's gone to 300. I would say that Gideon was, was shook. Do people say that still? I'm trying to be hip. Do you say shook? Nobody says shook. I would say he was shook. Because he came in confident, he went 32,000, 10,000, 300. And now he's like, what, what is happening? And here's how I know he was shook. That's not in the Bible. But here's how I know that he was shook. And it's in verse nine. It says, that same night, the Lord said to him, arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, this is beautiful. He didn't even have to come to God with his fears. God knew that Gideon was afraid. And God meets him in his fears. He meets him in his weaknesses. He meets him in his worry. He says, if you are afraid, because he was, if you're afraid, to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. He says, Gideon, I, I get it. You went from 32,000 to 300. I understand that this looks very weak, this doesn't look very hopeful right now, but I understand that you feel alone, but I have a plan still for you, and I'm gonna keep my promises, but I also understand that in your weakness you feel alone. Man, how true is that in our lives? That it's so easy to stay alone in our weaknesses. There's something so freeing when we can just start out with, man, I'm weak. And we live in a culture that thinks weakness is a negative. I know this is true in my own life. I've seen it over and over again. I see it in the day to day, but I also see it when I look at my history. I look at a history where I had tons of sin and tons of things happening, and I started going to these rooms of men that struggle with the same issues, the same addictions. And if you've ever been in a room like that, like a room full of addicts, whether it was alcohol or, or drugs or sexual addiction or whatever the addiction was, one, you can't raise your hand because it's anonymous. Just, those jokes don't land right now when you're joking about addiction. But here's the deal. You're in that room and how does it start? Don't pretend you know. Right? My name's Michael. I'm a addict. And you know what happens when everyone in that room comes in starting with a weakness? with their weakness, the ground levels. No one's worshiped in that moment. No one's the hero in that moment. The reality is, hey man, I need help. And that's why you see this over again in places that have recovery. You see over and over again that the first step is admitting that their lives were out of control, that their addictions had control over them. And then what does it say? They handed over their lives to a higher power. But what I'm pointing you to today is the higher power is the God of the scriptures who says, I know you're weak and I know you're alone and I'm gonna put other people around you. My prayer for our city groups, like the group that I'm a part of, like if you're not in a city group, I would strongly encourage you to be in one, is that we would be the same. We would be a place that we could come in and not boast about all we did this week. 
I got a bunch of friends here from baseball this morning, and one of the reasons I love baseball is because you fail more than you succeed. It's like, my dudes, if you got one out of three hits, you could make millions one day. Because that's life. That's how life goes. That's how, that's how living in a broken, fallen world goes. That we are not perfect, we are not almighty in our own strength, that we are a weak people. In the midst of that, God meets him in the weakness and says, hey, I get it, you're afraid, and you feel alone, I'm gonna give you your servant to go with you. And then look what happens. It says, and you shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp, and the Midianites and the Amalekites, this is the people they're gonna battle, and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. That just means a lot. Like, for those of you in the south here, it's like mosquitoes. Thousands of them, can't count them all, right? Like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore. We get that. When Gideon came... Behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. I love this part because Gideon has gone from on top, ready to go, 32,000 early in the morning. He's come down to 300. He's feeling alone. He's feeling weak. He's starting to question everything. And God says, I'm going to take you down, and I'm going to show you who you're going to face. Can you imagine, though, in that moment, you're already shook. And in that moment, you get down there, and what do you see? Thousands upon thousands, even maybe even 100,000 soldiers. And so many camels, you can't even count them all. I don't think that made Gideon go, oh, okay. We got this. No, he's down there and he sees it all, but then look what happens next. It says, when Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. Now, I don't know about you, when I read that, I don't know what that means. I mean, I get in a tent once a year. I like bread, I, but that's all I got. I should probably eat less bread. But the reality is here, there's this dream. But the coolest part here is not that we sit and go, man, I don't know what that means. The cool part is we see what it means. And his comrade, these two men are having this, uh, this conversation. His comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. What a moment. Gideon has said, all right, God, I'm down to 300. You know I'm afraid. You know I feel alone. You've brought me down here, which has not helped to see all these people. And you brought me down here, and in the midst of it, you used two of the soldiers to tell me that you're good, that you're in control, and that you're gonna work through and in the midst and in spite of my weakness. I love this part because Gideon continues to take steps Step, 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 knowing his weakness, but trusting the Lord, and the Lord meets him there. The other part I love about this is he's not the only one shook. The comrades, they're nervous too. The reality is that we all have fear. We all have weakness. We all have things when we look at the circumstances, it feels impossible. But the difference between the enemy army and Gideon was Gideon had God. In the midst of this, he said, God's got this, God's got me, God's got us, God's got the battle. And look how he assures Gideon. I think there's a couple of really great takeaways that you can look at here. He provides assurance in the midst of the weakness through his word. 
in the midst of Gideon's wrestling, in the midst of his fear and his loneliness, that he provides assurance through his word. He does that as he speaks to Gideon, as he guides Gideon. For those of us today, he provides assurance through his holy word, through the scriptures. Man, what a gift it would be that instead of the enemy using our weaknesses and our fears and our sins to isolate us and separate us, what if instead God could use it, God does use it, to bring us to his word, to bring us closer to him, But not only does he bring us to his word, he also um, gives assurance through the mouth of others. That there are other people that are speaking and that is giving Gideon courage. I mentioned city groups earlier, and I think it's so important that you have a community of people that you're able to share your weaknesses with. But also a group of people that don't be like, yeah, you are a loser. But instead of people that can encourage you. Not in yourself necessarily, oh, what are you talking about, Michael? You're so strong. You got this. I always laugh at cups that say, you got this, because I'm always like, no, I don't. Like, unless it means you, God, got this, right? But have people around you that would actually point you and encourage you in the reality of how God is using our weaknesses. And then the third way that God works it out is through circumstances. He has brought Gideon to the most weird of circumstances to speak to him and to encourage him in the midst of his fear, in the midst of his weakness, in the midst of his loneliness. And this is so hard for us because when we get in the middle of a circumstance that exposes our fears and our weaknesses, the last thing that we want to do, or the last thing, at least I'll admit it, the last thing I want to do is look outside myself. Tends to, when the world's going wrong or when my weaknesses are exposed, I tend to turn inward. I tend to mope. I tend to fear. I tend to like separate a little bit. I tend to isolate. I tend to hide. But he uses circumstances actually to give assurance. So I can't promise you right now, like, hey, don't worry, guys. Like, I can't. I can't give you this crazy great promise about your current circumstances. But what I can tell you is further down the road, you can look back at your current circumstances and say, man, I see how God was working that out. For me, I've seen this in my own life time and time and time again. I saw it in my life when my sin led to me, like, legit not having a job. My sin led to me moving to a whole nother city. My sin brought me down here. And you know the craziest thing happened? The most terrible thing happened. My son, we get down here, and he gets diagnosed with terminal cancer. But now, when I look back at the circumstances, as much as all my sin, all my weakness, all my issues, all my crap that the enemy would love to use to just belittle myself and beat myself up. Instead, I get to look back now and I go, man, how good was God in the midst of that? And here's how I know he was good. Really simple example. We moved from Tallahassee, which is like heaven on earth. Go Knowles. Yeah, exactly. You don't get to say anything. It's heaven on earth. It's way better than Gainesville and Miami. We, we moved from this beautiful, beautiful place and we came down here and my wife gets a job at a fantastic hospital and my son gets the diagnosis. If we would have been in Tallahassee and got that diagnosis, here's what would have happened. We wouldn't have a hospital to go to because as beautiful as Tallahassee is, it's very small, especially when classes are out. 
what we would have done in the midst of our marriage, like being strengthened and re-strengthened and growing stronger and stronger as we move down here in the midst of all the brokenness, what would have had to have happened if we lived in Tallahassee is one of us would have ended up moving to Gainesville so that they could, he could go to Shands and get his treatment while one of us stayed in Tallahassee. And Lord knows, literally, the Lord knows what the insurance would have been like. Because I was in ministry at the time, and trust me, the pastors don't get the best health insurance a lot of times. And instead, we had millions, I'm not joking, millions of dollars in treatment, and we paid like $1,000 in a deductible. And I don't look back and go, man, I'm so glad I sinned. No, but I do look back and I say, man, God was just like orchestrating all this in the midst of my weakness. Somehow, God was working it out. And now I can look back and say, man, I can see how God worked it out. So I can't, Sister Cleo, your future, I can't predict it, I can't tell you how it's gonna go. I can't tell you what the Lord's will is for your future, but I can tell you when we stop and when we look back, we can see the evidences which bring us assurance that he works in our weakness. Let's keep going, we gotta go fast. Thankfully I talk fast. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And so Gideon gets this message. Check this out, guys. Before he goes to battle, he worships. Before he even goes and gets the victory, he's already in awe of what the Lord's going to do. Man, that is wild. But that Gideon would have that faith in that moment that he's heard from the Lord and that the Lord's got this. So he goes back and he says, hey guys, listen, like good news, we're gonna do this thing. I got a great plan, you remaining 300 people. I got a great plan. Grab some torches, grab some jars, and grab some trumpets. I mean, he's got like 300 band kids, right? And they're gonna go, sorry, that was just too easy. He's got 300 soldiers, sorry band kids. He's got 300 people ready to go. He's like, we're going to win this thing. I don't know what the expectation was. I don't know why jars and trumpets and, you know, and torches. I don't understand what the plan was or the vision behind that was. All I know is when they go down to have the actual battle, him and the 1% that's left, when they go down to have the actual battle, here's what they do. They crash, they bash all the jars. It makes this crazy loud noise, and then they blow the trumpets. Now, back then, a trumpet was meant to be the, like, the signal of a battalion coming. So in that moment, they hear the sound of what they think is 300 battalions. And then they just hear all this, all this noise. But what's so amazing in this moment is, is the timing of it. The Lord has him come in the middle of the night. There's like three shifts in the day. And the, and the, the shift that was awake, they just finished like all the Netflix they watched through the night because it was slow. And they're ready to go to sleep. And so they're done. And then the next shift is just woke up, right? I mean, they barely, they haven't had their coffee yet. Like, they're disoriented. And then the third shift, man, they're just sleeping. And they're all like, no one's like ready. It's not in the middle of the day, it's in the middle of the night. And all of a sudden, they just wake up to the sound of 300 trumpets and the sound of jars breaking. And you know what happens in that moment? It's so beautiful. They get up and they're in disarray and they kill each other. How crazy is that? That in this moment, God actually took the 300 to battle and let those thousands and thousands kill themselves. Gideon had a plan where he'd take 32,000 people to battle and there'd be some lives lost. But instead, God had a plan where he said, I'm gonna bring you down to 1% and they're actually just gonna fight themselves. 
Man, what a beautiful picture it is for us over and over again that as we face different things, as we go through different things with our weaknesses and our fears and the battles in our lives, is that God fights them for us. And so Gideon, they experienced the God doing what he said he would do. But look what happens here. This is the crazy part. Gideon experiences this like holy victory that was ultimately not about Gideon, not about the 300. It was about what the Lord had done. And then look what happens here. We're going to go real fast in chapter 8. In chapter 8, Gideon is, is on a high, right? We've got this great victory. And in chapter 8, some unique things start to happen. Gideon comes across this um, very large city, and the very large city is like, hey guys, why did you not include us in the battle? Because they wanted credit too. They wanted some glory. They wanted some victory. They wanted that in that moment. But that's not what God wanted. And Gideon's like, oh, uh, and he's like a good politician. He starts to smooth talk like the big powerful city, and they're like, oh, okay, we're good, we're good, we're good, right? And then he goes to the small city, and he's like, hey, guys, like, my troops are hungry. They're tired. They've been through a lot. Like, we need your help. And the city's like, who do you think you are? What? And Gideon, in that moment, gets incredibly upset because here's what happened. In the moment, he had experienced great victory, and in the moment now, he's experiencing the pride of that victory. In that moment, he says, oh, don't you know who I am? If you're not going to help me and my troops, here's what I'll do. Once we go win the battle without your little tiny city, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to come back to your city. I'm going to kill most of you and especially your leaders. And then I'm going to just decimate the entire town. We have the dude a little bit ago who was fearful and afraid and weak and depending on the Lord. And now we have a, Gideon who is, a, a man named Gideon who's saying, you, you forgot who I am? He had become exactly what the Lord said not to do. And that was to boast in themselves instead of in the Lord. But not only does he expect that type of respect now, and not only does he crush the smaller cities and, and smooth talk the large cities, he also is becoming a man who's seeking vengeance. He realizes that he's, has, he's had family that were killed by some of these cities. So he says, you know what? I'm gonna go get them too. Nowhere in chapter eight do we see Gideon go, hey Lord, what do you want me to do? Nowhere do we see in chapter 8 where the Lord speaks or he asks for help. We see a man who got a great victory, and so instead he turns now and he says, I got this. And isn't that true in our lives? We don't like to talk about weakness, but here's the problem. In our strength, time and time and time again, we act like we don't need anything. In our strength, we forget the Lord. This is why over and over again in our lives, when things are the hardest and the most painful, those tend to be the moments that grow us the most. When you meet older people in the faith especially, and you're like, man, why is their faith so tangible? It's because they start to share with you, and they laugh because they say, because of everything that I've been through and how the Lord was faithful and brought me through it. Not because I'm super strong and I'm super di disciplined and super spiritual, but because the Lord was faithful through the up and through the down. And so we see Gideon has drifted from depending on the Lord to independent of the Lord but this is the part that scares me the most as we come close here to, to land in the plain. It says, Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us. This is verse 22 of chapter 8. Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also. For you have saved us from the hand of Midian. So like, man, Gideon, you're awesome. Like, come and be our ruler. And look what Gideon says. He says to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And we're all like, Amen, Gideon. Amen. Man, I'm glad you got back on track again. But watch what Gideon does. And Gideon said to them, let me make a request of you. Hmm. Every one of you, 
Give me the earrings from his spoil, for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, We will willingly give them. Uh, we will willingly give them. And they spread a cloak, and every man threw it in the earrings of his spoil. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was seventeen hundred shekels. It's like seventy-one pounds of gold. Besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian, and besides the collars that were around the necks of their camels. Gideon in that moment, he says, hey, look, look, I'm not going to be your king, but wouldn't it be cool if you all gave me some things? Wouldn't it be cool if you all, like, did what I said? Wouldn't it be cool if I could just kind of collect a tax of sorts? And yeah, my son's not going to rule over you either, but I am going to name him a name that means son of the king. Uh, Not that I'm the king. Not that I'm the king, because, you know, the Lord. But, hey, can, we gra- can, you, can you give me these jewels? And so they get the 71 pounds of gold and all these other jewels. And what in the world do you do with that? It says, and Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in his city in Ophrah. Not Oprah. I've been trying hard not to do that. And all Israel whored after it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. So in this moment, Gideon has said the right things. Right? I, don't make me your king. You've got the Lord. And then he said, hey, I'm not going to make my son, whose name means son of the king, I'm not going to make him the king either because I'm not the king, the Lord's the king, but while you're at it, could you just go ahead and give me some gold and I'm going to make an ephod out of it. Now, I don't know how many of you know what an ephod is. I don't either. But you know who knew? Google. And so I Googled it, and it looks like a really cool apron, right? But it's like bedazzled. It's got jewels all over it. It's absolutely beautiful. And it was this like spiritual, like... uh, uh, like ceremony, like ceremonial type garb. And it was this like thing that would draw great attention. And it was something that like would lead people to awe and to worship. It was something that leaders at the time would wear. It, I, and the closest I can think of is like a WWE belt nowadays. Like when we see it, we're all like, no, nobody else watches WWE. It's not real. Sorry if I ruined it today for you. But in the midst of this moment, Gideon says, hey, look, I don't want to be your king, but I'll be glad to take some of the spoils. I'll be glad to name a son whose name literally means son of the king. And I'll be glad to prance around, to walk around, to stand around in this beautiful ephod that draws you to worship me. And the reason I say this terrifies me is because Gideon said the right words and his actions were the opposite. Oh, that is terrifying. Because the reality is, you all, we all can come in here and sing the songs, and preach the sermon, and have the conversations, and do the Bible studies, and do the good deeds, and say, 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 but our hearts are running the opposite direction. God is not after merely your words. God cares about your hearts. And my prayer this morning is not that you have the title of Christian, not that you know how to speak like a Christian or go to church and say the right things. My prayer for you is that your heart is captured by the good news of the gospel. My prayer for you this morning is that your actions flow out of what God has done for you, not because you want to try to earn anything. My prayer for you this morning is that you're not like what Jesus said, that you're you're honoring me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. We know people like Gideon. And we know that when we invite our friends to church, when we, when we try our darndest to share the good news of the gospel, the people who honor with their lips and their heart, our hearts are far from do incredible damage. As a pastor said many years ago, like the only gospel some of your friends may ever read is your life. And your words are important. It is important that we share the gospel with our words, but our hearts also must be after the Lord. 
He's not asking for people that are just really smart and know the right answers. He's asking people for people that depend on him and that love him. And the reason this terrifies me is because it could look very spiritual to say the right things. And you could do all the right things, like looking that way on the surface, but our hearts be far from him. It terrifies me because I did it, guys. I was in youth group chasing after girls. And I was a hellion. And I mean hellion in the sense of hell. Like, not living for the Lord, but I knew the talk. And I could say all the right things. And I could look very spiritual. And I could lead the Bible study. But my heart was far, far from the Lord. And trust me, if you saw my actions outside of that group of Christians, you would have known I was not a Christian. And we see Gideon here, what's happened to him. And, and this is so important, not just for Gideon's heart and Gideon's life. Look what it says in verse 27. It says, and all Israel whored after it there. I'm really sorry, parents, that it says that, but it's the Bible. And it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. But then look, it happens again after Gideon dies. It says, as soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal Barith their God. So when we live lives where we say, oh man, it's all about the Lord, praise the Lord, Lord willing, like, oh, I got, got five Bible studies this week, oh, I got church, I got to sing songs, and my heart goes the other way, not only does it say something about our hearts, it also impacts those around us. And we see this here, where Gideon is one of the unique judges where he doesn't lead them to worship the Lord. He actually leads them away from the Lord. And he said all the right things. But his actions showed that his heart was far from him. But how did that happen? And here's how it happened. Verse 34. It says, And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. Here's how it happened. It happened to Gideon, and it happened to the people that followed him, and it happens to me, and it happens to us all the time, is we've forgotten what the Lord has done. It is so easy to forget. It's great to come to church. I love coming here every Sunday. And, it, and maybe some Sundays I don't. We can be real. But when I come here each week, it's a chance to be reminded of what the Lord has done. But my heart, when I leave here, starts to beeline the opposite direction. What can Michael do for himself? I got this. I can do this. Oh man, I don't need to worry about that weakness over there. I can be successful at work. I don't need to worry about that weakness over there. I can be a really good dad. All good things. But not a heart that loves the Lord. They had forgotten. And so this morning, I think one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is, have you forgotten? Did you grow up going to church and haven't been in a while? Like, did you, like years ago, and you're like, man, my life has gotten so far over here, and I have no idea how. And the how is that we've forgotten what the Lord has done. We've forgotten that the real battle that we face is not Midianites and Amalekites. The battle that we face is our sin and the continued proclivity we have to continue to move towards our own attempts at self-righteousness. Our own attempts to try to save ourselves and hide our weaknesses and perform and perform and perform. And the good news today is that Jesus said on the cross, it's finished. No more performing. I've done it all. I've done it for you and you can now live free. But for some of you, I think the other question is not, have you forgotten? I think the question is, honestly, do you know? Because to forget something means that you knew something at one point. And I think we, we live in a world now where we can never assume that everyone knows what I'm talking about when I say words like gospel. 
And so this morning, the question is not just have you forgotten, the question is do you know? And when I say do you know, I say do you know the good news of the gospel? And the gospel, the good news of the gospel is this, is that the scriptures say that while we were enemies, while we were children of wrath, while we were living against the Lord, that he was such a perfect, gracious, heavenly father that he saw our sin. He saw that we could not save ourselves. And he said, I love each of you so much. I want you to be my children and daughters. I love you so much that I will send my son to this earth. He will leave beautiful heaven. He will come down to sinful, broken earth, and he will live a perfect life that you and I cannot live in the course of an hour. He will live a perfect life for 30 plus years, and then he will die the death that we deserve for our sins, and then conquer sin and death three days later. And may we be reminded this morning of that, and may we know for the first time. And what a beautiful thing today to walk out of here free free from trying to prove, free from hiding our weakness, free in the good news that Jesus has done it all already for us. So this morning, I invite you as we sing to remember. I invite you this morning as we sing to proclaim. I invite you this morning to live a life that doesn't look like an independent Gideon, a life that looks like a Gideon that's dependent on the Lord, a life that is trusted in Jesus, a life that seeks the Lord in prayer, a life that goes to the word, a life maybe you're trusting the Lord in a step of obedience. Maybe the step of obedience is trusting him the first time. Maybe the step of obedience is baptism. Like, I don't know what your step of obedience is this morning, but I invite you to, to embrace your weakness and find that Christ is strong there and to step into it. Let me pray for you as we... Uh, as we move into song. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Uh, Lord, it's just so um, exciting to be up here and uh, to get to share um, what you're teaching me in my own heart. Um, Lord, I confess, uh, God, even as I, as I write a sermon, um, Lord, it's so easy to try to work, 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 um, and not see my weakness and my need for you. And ultimately, it's you that can change hearts. God, I don't know every person here. I don't know their weaknesses. I don't know their strengths. I don't know their stories. God, but it's absolutely beautiful to know that you do Man, so God, meet each of these people in their weakness. God, meet each of these people in their need. God, help us to see, humble us if we need humbling, Lord, but God, meet us where we are, God, and continue to move us, God. Continue to move us more like your son, Jesus. God, I pray this morning for those that have forgotten the good news. God, I pray this morning it would just be a fresh reminder to them. And God, for those that have never heard it, never trusted it, whatever it may be, God, I pray that you would just work on their hearts. God, that you would do a miracle there. God, that you would give great freedom this morning as they become your children. God, as they trust in Jesus. And so God, thank you again for how you work and how you move. God, thank you that you use our weaknesses to point to you and to point others to you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.